Welcome to the BAM Biz Talk podcast, hosted by BAM Biz Hub, also known as the B Squared Hub Accelerator Program. We are a 501c3 nonprofit providing ideation, commercialization methodology, and mentorship to startups, early stage, and growth-driven businesses in the Permian Basin and beyond. The B Square Hub Accelerator Program is 100% online with access to the BAM team for curriculum questions, resources, and mentorship as we are the only accelerator in the Permian Basin where face-to-face mentorship is available right here at home. We have over 900 enrollments in the B Square Hub Accelerator Program and are constantly seeking to add more courses and resources to create opportunities for you. Our team, board of directors and mentors are vast and experienced in an array of disciplines culminating in a well-rounded group of resources for our startups and businesses preparing to either enter the market or accelerate their growth. To find out more about us, go to bambizhub.com or call to set up a free consultation at 1-833-BAM-IDEA or 432-247-8840. That's 247-8840. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities. Bam! Here we go again. Bam Biz Talk Podcast, episode number four. We're in the Bam House recording with Jerry Morales from Midland, Texas, the heart of the Permian Basin. How are you doing today, Jerry? Doing great. Thank you. Thank you for uh, the invitation to be with you all this morning. So excited about to visit about the restaurant industry and uh, some of our businesses that, that's happening within our family. Love it. Love to hear all about it. Yeah, I'm here with Michael Crane as well, BAM uh, Biz Hub president. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm doing great and excited about Jerry being here. Absolutely. So, Jerry, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a, a several businesses that you're, that you're rolling right now. Yeah, thank you. So uh, today, my son and I, my oldest son, Chris Morales, and I, we have th- uh, three restaurants that we're operating. Uh, one that has been in our family for a long time was started by my mom and dad, Felipe and Celia Morales in 1977, and that was Casita Gerardo's. And in 1977, uh, I purchased, the, uh, bought the industry, or I apologize, bought the business from them. And uh, and then six years later, my son and I purchased Harvest Cafe and turned that one into the Mulberry Cafe and have now a second location downtown in the Frost Bank building that's been there for two years. So we have three uh, full service restaurants and then we have a catering uh, operation that falls under the umbrella of all those restaurants and where we uh, are able to do a turnkey service of food, bar, pastries, desserts, uh, tablecloths, everything. So uh, it does keep us busy and we're excited that we've made it past this uh, uh, COVID pandemic and are able to get those kind of services back up and going again. So good times right now. A lot happening. You know, I know with all these businesses, it's got to be hard to maybe do some hiring and get the right people in, uh, in where you need them and create the, uh, let's just say, a really good team. How do you go about all that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And, you know, within my industry, that's always uh, a hot issue, a hot topic. And, uh, you know, the labor market out here is always challenging uh, because we have to compete with the oil and gas industry. And uh, we all know that they pay great wages and have great incentive programs. And, and, and really the one thing that they are able to attract employees is the overtime because that overtime really uh, hits their back pocket in that and they are excited about that. You know, and you remember we used to talk a lot about how uh, these young 20-year-olds, young, young 20-year-olds were driving these brand new $100,000 trucks and big, big fancy boots and belt buckles. Well, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, it's still challenging. 
But today, I don't think our industry, restaurant industry, really competes too much now with the oil and gas industry because we have really uh, done a good job of being able to bring our pay structure up, uh, incentivize uh, where we can with tip shares, bonus programs. Uh, for us personally, uh, scheduling, you know, we like to close on Sundays uh, where we can really let our f- employees uh, enjoy the day with their families, do the church time and have lunch and dinner uh, and, and whatever they need to do. And I will use the word culture. Um, we really believe that if you can develop a culture within your business uh, and really get your employees engaged, uh, it's that buy-in. And we tried our best. We try our best every day to to listen to them, care about them, celebrate them. And we're very proud of our employees. Our kitchen, for example, at Gerardo's Casita, the three or four cooks that we have there combined probably give us about 60 years of experience. So they've been with us a long time. Yeah, you can taste it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Good way to put it. I like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, too, being that you're involved in all these things that are going on with you at these different businesses and the variety of things that happen within them. Um, let me ask you this. What are some of the things as far as qualities that a restaurant owner needs to have to be able to do the things well that you do? Yeah. So I think uh, when restaurant managers, owners uh, really need to be engaged in their community and know uh, what the demand is out there. So with that being said, uh, you know, a vibrant spirit, um, culture, as I, uh, I mentioned, uh, understanding of, you know, operating your book. So cost of goods every day today, we're paying the most you've ever seen on cost of goods. And you don't have to be a genius at, uh, you know, business models or algebra or any of that. You just need to understand that uh, these costs are changing daily uh, with, with what's happening in our environment around the world. So, for example, in Ukraine, we saw what was happening with wheat and uh, that has affected us already here in West Texas. Uh, so it's things like that that you've really got to be engaged and staying on top of or somebody in the in your within your business has to be monitoring those cost of goods every day. Uh, as I mentioned, training, training is a very important tool uh, in your business or in the restaurant industry, especially because uh, it's important that that customer is uh, engaged right when they walk in the door. Uh, when they're sat, that they're immediately um, greeted, uh, that they get their drink, they get their hot food or cold food, whatever it's supposed to be, uh, that they're being checked on after they've gotten that food. So there's a training process, and that training goes on all the time. And uh, if you're having a lot of turnover, it's never ending. And so you've really got to maintain that um, cleanliness. You know, uh, people are looking at that all the time. And, you know, I think all of us coming after out, out of COVID learned more about sanitation. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. yeah, you know, uh, we went to to-go services, wearing gloves, and and there's nothing wrong with that. That's great because now we're more cautious and really uh, watching our surroundings where uh, maybe a lot of time we just kind of miss it. And, and I call it blinders. You know, we put those yes. blinders on and, and you get caught in. So, uh, you know, to be an owner manager, uh, I would say that I'm, I'm, respond, I'm the payroll manager, I'm a lawyer, I'm a priest, a uh, financial advisor, a family counselor. We play all the roles because we have all these different employees. And, and you, so you have to be understanding and receptive 
uh, and a great communicator. So a lot of qualities that come with operating a, a, a business like ours. So that, that comes to the next question. What keeps us to the point where we're really organized and we can plan out and prioritize what we need to do on a daily basis, knowing that all that's going on? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, again, you never stop learning, right? So uh, today we're blessed because our phones, uh, our computers have access to so many different areas that we can go to. If you can't afford, uh, you know, to bring in a human resource person to help you uh, get organized or guide in your community, in your business, then uh, just get online and start Googling, how do I schedule? Uh, how do I start uh, managing my calendar? Uh, if I want to get in the catering business, there, there's so many ways that you can uh, reach out to find out uh, about how to set up catering services. For me personally, and I love visiting with my colleagues in the industry. Uh, through the Permian Basin Restaurant Association, which is under the Texas Restaurant Association, uh, we meet regularly. So, uh, again, I keep kind of going through COVID. COVID, for example, when we shut, had to shut down our restaurants, we immediately set up mini markets uh, so that people needed goods uh, because, you know, your local supermarket didn't have it or they didn't want to go in there. So we had these little mini markets set up in our restaurants, taking the products that we already make to make our plates so rice, beans, ground beef, eggs, we were able to put them together and sell them and keep ourselves in business and thinking outside the box. So, wow. uh, and then as soon as I did that, I started sharing it with other restaurants because I wanted them to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you you can't succeed alone. That's for right. Sure. And it takes it takes a takes a village. Right. It does. And uh, that synergy working together. Uh, you know, I love what you're saying, especially, you know, your example with the pandemic and the supply chain issues. Yes. You know, because that's something that we, we teach our, our clients. Right. We put them through our accelerator Absolutely. program right. and it's in the business model. Right. Mm -hmm. Who are your key partners? That's right. Right. And OK, so are you looking at the key partners? What's the global trend? And, you know, what's how the supply chain look like through your partners? That's right. You know, and, and even though it's competition uh, and it's your competitors at the same time, uh, we run out of products. And sometimes we have to go to them and ask them, can we borrow a case of chips or or, or something? And uh, and just to get you to the next thought. So at, at the same time, you kind of utilize them and support them and they and vice versa. So uh, ideas again, I get. There's so many things that you can learn. I'll see it in a new restaurant, something unique that they're doing, and I'll pick up that phone going, now, how does that work? Or where did that come from? That's really cool. I'd sure like to use that in my restaurant, and they love sharing it. So, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, we, we're, we are all in this together. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's great because, you know, the, it takes a community. And as we as we build, as we keep going, you know, uh, we do have to incentivize, you know, uh, the workers who aren't in the oil field. Right. Yeah. It's who, who serves because of the oil field. Right. You know, so it, the customer service, I know, is a big issue here around West Texas in general. Yeah. And you mentioned, again, the oil field. And so today I was going to just say on like on the employees, what we've really, really noticed is because the oil and gas industry is so cyclical. And, uh, you know, there's a good market like today it's at 80 bucks, but tomorrow it could be at 30. And so what we have also seen is a lot of these oil workers are went back to college or they went to um, more of a trade type uh, industry school. So they want to get their HVAC license, their, their welder's license, nursing. Uh, so when they went back to school, they still needed a part time job. And that's where they cooked or waited tables or bartended for us. Uh, and so that was great because we were able to, again, be flexible with their schedules. You know, I got a, a question about getting into the business. What did you find to be the most, uh, let's say, the, the, the thing, the barrier that kind of made it hard for you to get in or made it easy for you to get in? Yes. Yeah, so, so as I mentioned, um, 
I started with a, a corporation, uh, and they only had eight restaurants, uh, DFNR Incorporated. And this is right when I came out of tech, and they had a concept here in Midland, Odessa, and Lubbock, and it was called Harrigan's. And uh, went in just as a waiter and a bartender while going to school, but uh, I really liked their program. And so they kind of, well, they brought me into their training program. And uh, again, I bought into the culture. I bought into what they were doing. And working with that corporation really taught me a lot. Their training was not the, the top of the top, but they believed, again, in uh, things that are important, fresh food, service, cleanliness, atmosphere, and the guest. And so, you know, a lot of qualities that were important to me, and it made me want to stay in this industry. Uh, it really didn't have a whole lot to do with our family restaurant. It had to do with this company that was growing and had a great vision and, and brought in, there was about a dozen of us, 25-year-olds, 27-year-olds who bought into it. And so when I started with them, as I mentioned, they had about eight restaurants. Ten years later, when they, I left this company, they had 200 restaurants. And so uh, during that time, I got married, my wife and our first child. We moved up to Indiana and helped them expand what was a new concept called Don Pablo's Tex-Mex. And uh, so at that time, very young, uh, there was about six or eight of young families. We all went up to Indiana and Ohio to start this concept, Don Pablo's. We expanded it. So I lived in Indiana, Columbus, and eventually my territory as an area manager was Kentucky, Ohio, and Michigan. And I would open up these very large restaurants. Uh, at one time I had six restaurants with 500 employees and I'm, I'm not even 30 years old, old yet and was responsible for operating. So it uh, taught me to mature. It taught me everything about uh, how to take a, build a restaurant from the ground up, uh, how to purchase, um, how to train and so on and so forth. So. I eventually left because um, dad and well, the company sold out. Mom and dad said, hey, we got the restaurant here or you can join us in our family insurance business. And so I said, you know what? I think this is God's timing. And we packed up and came back to Midland, Texas. Man, Midland is lucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's been fun. You know, I, I was told one time a lot of people leave Midland. But the good ones always come back. <laughs> so well, uh, we were very fortunate. We were very blessed to come back. So, you know, and going along with that, too, we, we talked about cleanliness and food. Um, let me ask you this. What's a responsible uh, food turn, if you will, uh, that keeps fresh fruit in your, in your freezer all the time? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you look at as far as turning that food over? Yeah, we, we typically are 36 hours uh, turnover on ours. So um, nothing really, you know, your beans, we... We pretty much put every day our rice we make every day. You know, you cut salad every day, uh, fresh tomatoes. So all your produce you're pretty much making every day like guacamole. Ground beef, which comes turns into taco meat, can go for uh, 48 hours. And um, But most, so I would say most things are, are for about 48 hours, and then we start again. So um, not too long of a shelf life. We, we bring in orders twice a week, large orders. So we'll get our large delivery orders on Monday morning and on Thursday morning. And it keeps that rot rotation uh, going pretty nice. And I would say uh, for high-end restaurants, uh, they're probably going 24 hours to 36 hours. So uh, it moves pretty fast. Now, which one of these, these restaurants that you have that seem to have the, the most movement? Um, well, it, it, it flux, fluctuates. So Mulberry has always been, we've been very successful with our, our breakfast business. 
And so that one, you definitely have to make fresh every day. You have to scrambled eggs every day and, and fry eggs every day. And bacon has to be cooked on the spot, pretty much. Sausage. So uh, that's kind of answering the first question you had. But the um, so we have a very, very successful breakfast business from 730 to 1030. And that's every day and 365 days a week, year. And then the Gerardo's kind of uh, is cyclical. We um, if it's too hot outside, we notice that people it's too hot for Mexican food. Uh, when the winter months come in, which we're excited in the holiday, uh, we tend to see that restaurant really uh, expand and do really well. So it's, it's, it's just you, you, you used to be able to look at your calendar. And, you know, we'd leave notes and look at our financials and evaluate. Hey, we're getting ready. Not anymore. July used to be one of my busiest months. And now it's traveling. A lot of people are traveling. Families are traveling. So we it changes. It's hard to gauge anymore. Yeah. Can you tell the difference pre-pandemic, post-pandemic in that, that Absolutely. seasonal? Oh, yeah, yeah. Prior to the pandemic coming in, you know, we were cruising right along and our catering company was just doing great, great business. Uh, we were delivering food all over the Permian Basin because of the oil and gas companies. Uh, their nonprofits and foundations were doing events at the convention center. So we were real busy there. Well, that just totally shut down. And then um, during the pandemic, as I mentioned, we set up many markets. That was good for about four weeks and uh, did good with selling uh, bulk product. But then the governor passed the alcohol law, which allowed us to deliver alcohol. And we got creative and started doing uh, margaritas by the gallon and delivering those. Where was I on that? (laughs) (laughs) So they're like, aren't you the mayor? I was like, I'm the mayor, but today I'm the margarita <laughs> delivery man. <laughs> and That's so, awesome. Uh, and then you could do uh, alcohol by the glass. But so, you know, we did curbside. Uh, we did family packs. We, we did anything we could just to, to keep surviving. Uh, we teamed up with different groups to serve the first responders, senior citizens uh, at a discounted price. And so uh, that, that was a tough period. But then it it got to where everybody was starting to get really tight on their funds. And we noticed that the orders weren't coming in as much. And so, uh, towards the end of that pandemic was when the PPP came in and we got saved by that payroll protection plan. And we were able to get all of our employees back. So, uh, it was nice that our, our elected officials thought about our industry, uh, know that we were, uh, one of the industries that were taking care of those in need. Uh, so, uh, that helped a lot. It's uh, it's something that you just you got to be on your toes all the time. And so then even after now uh, coming out of the pandemic, things got better. And uh, and thank God we were very good about our savings and, and being very conservative. But that eventually dwindles. And then inflation kicked in and high interest rates, high cost of goods. And you're just going, gosh, when does all of this end? You know, and that comes up, too, is how does that affect the, the customer? You know, you got rising rates for supply chain. You got rising rates, as you mentioned uh, for wheat. Um, there's a lot of things that are actually have just skyrocketed. In fact, I've seen it in the store. In fact, I won't even buy a steak because it's just ridiculous. But, you know, when you're in a restaurant, uh, you come in day in and day out, month by month, whatever the routine might be, we're looking to spend X, X amount of dollars every time we go in there. Uh, and some people just don't understand why prices are going up. And how it, bottom line, it affects everybody, including the person coming in the door. That's right. Well, even, um, uh, you know, I was the mayor from 2014 to 2019. And in 2015, when oil really, really dropped low, uh, when I was the mayor, we put a, you know, a stop on hiring with the city. 
uh, cost of goods weren't up, but you just uh, didn't know where the economy was going and things kind of came to a halt. So uh, at the restaurant, we stopped hiring. We really tightened the belt at the city level. Uh, we didn't stop construction or building because you never can really stop growing the city uh, because we know that we're always going to come out of that uh, drop in the oil. But um, it allowed us to, you know, to uh, get caught up on road infrastructure and parks maintenance and little things like that. So we didn't hire. We really watched our hours. Uh, and, and so on, I guess what I'm getting to is on a bigger scale, you just got to be very conservative and, and watch everything. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, staying conservative on your like projections when you see what, what you, what's your next move, right? You mm -hmm. can't overshoot. Right. Yeah. So you got you got to stay in the pocket. And one way of doing that is staying conservative, tightening the belt. Well, and, and I think a lot of uh, small operators, uh, they're sometimes what you, you see is they're not watching their P&Ls. They're not doing food costs, inventories or bar cost inventories or labor cost inventories. Uh, they're continuing buying when they should just completely stop. Um, so, you know, you really have to monitor your daily operations uh, is there a lot of things that you can do so we can do internal plumbing we can paint our own stuff uh, we can, if we can fix it we're going to do it because it's very very expensive to bring in maintenance contractors and so uh, I, I, that first five years when we got into the uh, purchasing the Gerardo's Casita from the parents I mean it was tough because in the 90s again the oil was down and I had just moved back in the middle and not really aware of the economy and so when they tell you that it takes five years to, to really get established, well, we really worked hard every bit of those our, five I years. I hope our clients are listening to that because they think they can go right out into business and say, hey, look, I can make a million dollars my first year. Yeah. It takes three to five years Absolutely. Actually to see that actually take place. Not only that, though, I think the first year is just to be to, to create the stability that you can possibly maintain to get there. Um, and there's a lot of learning curves along the way even oh, to, yeah. to make that even happen. Yeah, that first year when I uh, – so what I did was I cashed in my um, uh, stocks that they had we had earned from the corporation that I was with. And with that and then a bank loan, uh, a small one, about 100000 we uh, really had to purchase all our equipment and buy the, you know, the inventory – but we also had to set aside about $10,000 to pay those first months of taxes, payroll, and just knew that we just couldn't touch it. And so you have to have money set aside to get past the first 30, 45 days because uh, your business is just barely getting ramped up. People aren't coming in yet. And, uh, and you better have a little bit of a savings account or it's going to catch up to you real quickly. You got to have that buffer. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's no kidding. So, you know, that leads to another question. What are some of the typical problems that you come across daily or monthly um, every time that uh, the restaurant opens up to the time it closes? Yeah, and it's still labor. I mean, employees uh, not showing up. You just hire an employee and get all the paperwork done, and then they're not there. You're going, gosh. And I mean... I've, I've heard this story numerous times from various uh, restaurants and industry, uh, other industries is, yeah, I'll interview, hire five employees. Not one showed up or only one showed up on the first day. And you're going, oh, my goodness. And that takes a lot of time and money to do that. <clears throat> uh, today, after the pandemic and what we're seeing right now is a shortage of supply. So a lot of my products that I have been using for decades, I can't get sometimes. It's always out. Um, they don't have workers at the factories to produce it. 
So paper goods are out. Um, again, very popular items that we expect, ingredients that we need for our recipes we can't get, or there's a backlog of six weeks. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's frustrating to get substitutions because it alters your recipe and people are going, this tastes funny and you have to go explain. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's not too many, but there are some things. And, uh, and so you just got to be aware of what's going to, uh, I'll tell you, like, even like in the liquor, I was really surprised, but some of the major distilleries weren't going to make any more of what we call the foo-foo liquors. And so you couldn't make those specialty drinks anymore. Uh, it was interesting. Tequila, uh, some of the more popular tequilas were completely out for uh, two months. Wow. So we're just going, gosh, okay, we're going to have to use all of these different. Again, margaritas are important because that's yeah. Uh, yeah, you just for us. You sobered up everybody. I mean, everybody now <laughs> yeah. sober for two months. So, uh, you know, you just see those kind of things that um, you didn't expect it. And then you call your distributor and say, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm sorry, they're not producing glass. They're doing only doing plastic. Uh, they're not going to. They don't. They can't make the caps to the bottles, so we're waiting on that. Wow. Plastics are are in high demand. I mean, it was just one reasoning after another, and you're just going. You're getting frustrated. Oh yeah. On top of that, everything went up because there's low inventory. And then, how do you pass that on to the client or the customer? Yeah. Again, how many times can you raise your prices? Yeah. Uh, that's that's the other deal. People are going to say you, you're going to charge me twenty five dollars for three enchiladas and rice and beans. That ain't, that's not going to fly. Mm-hmm. So. You, you, you know, you, you're trying to cover your costs, uh, but sometimes you do take a loss. Absolutely. And right now, that's exactly <clears throat> what you're experiencing. I would imagine you're we on are. the borderline. We are. It's um, at Gerardus, we've only raised once this year, which probably should have done one earlier in the year and then one this latter part. So it did catch up to us. Um, but when we typically do a menu increase, it's about 4%, 4 to 5%. Uh, so, you know, not significant, but enough when you're selling you know, 100 plates, it, and then it does add up. So let me ask, is traffic also kind of like slowing down coming in uh, because of the inflation, the uh, value of the dollar? Uh, yes and no. Um, again, because we are on this uh, very, very busy Permian shell, uh, there is money out there. And so uh, people are doing well. Uh, and, you know, we're still pumping oil. So we are lucky to be in Midland. We're lucky to be in Permian Basin. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, see the wealth. And I, I applaud everybody for working so hard in the service industry and being successful in, in what they do. So I would tell you it's, um, uh, it, 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 again, it's sometimes it is difficult, but not all the time. Where I hear it, like in Dallas, Austin, Houston, my friends in there, they're getting hit with high rents right now. Yeah, I've heard that High too. rents. They can't find any labor. So that means that they're having to pay more pe- more than than they ever have just to get somebody to work. Cost of goods are up, so they're getting just Rents triple, up. triple whammies. Yeah, wow. I have a friend of mine in Dallas that just went up three hundred dollars a month, Oof. a month, not a year, yeah. for his apartment. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so cost of living is uh, a big in Midland too, and uh, but again, they're getting paid pretty good out here, and all the oil and all in uh, companies are looking for people, so uh, that's that's a plus. Let me ask, where do you see where in five years where you might be with what you've got going on? Mm-hmm. So today I have, uh, this year I made a personal decision to uh, get out of the restaurant industry uh, full time. And my oldest son that I mentioned, Chris, uh, he and I are negotiating an agreement where he will purchase uh, the three restaurants and uh, he will then take ownership and operate them. And of course, I'll always be around uh, to help. 
And so right next door, as I mentioned, we have a family insurance business. So earlier this year, I got licensed in the life and health uh, industry. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so, um, I've been studying for the last six months. Wow. Sold my first, uh, policy actually last month. So, uh, my goal was to be, uh, transition out of, uh, the restaurant industry as much as I can, our family businesses and go into the insurance business the first of the year and, and then just be there to support my son and his family as much as possible. So, and for me, it was just, I've done this for almost four decades and, um, you know, after a lot of nights and weekends, I just wanted a little more time for myself. And uh, it's about time, Jerry. Yeah, I was just celebrating my 57th <laughs> birthday. So uh, it's time to kind of enjoy life a little more. Got to. Got and to. then I threw my name in the mayoral race um, yes. recently. Congratulations. So uh, Yeah, have, let's hear about that. Yeah, it's been exciting. We had a lot of support uh, to get back in the race and encouragement. Uh, of course, a lot of prayers through this. So, uh, on the last day of filing, we, we, we did file. So as you heard me say, I was the mayor from 2014 to 2019. And then prior to that, uh, I was a city councilman at large. So I've been on the city council 12 years. Took the three-year uh, hiatus, and, and that was and nice. Let me just interrupt for a second. This is when he's owning all this restaurant and working. And, I mean, he's got all this stuff going on, and he's still mm-hmm. putting himself out there for uh, helping the city. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in um, giving back to the community because— when people, you know, spend their money, hard-earned money in our restaurants, uh, I think it's important to to give back wherever you can. And I'm a big, big supporter of being involved with nonprofits. And I did it for about 10 years, over two, two uh, dozen nonprofits, and learned a ton about our community and the needs out there. So that kind of led me to run for city council and then eventually mayor. Uh, for six years as mayor, we did some, with our council, did some great, great work, and it was exciting. And Again, was, you know, this is my hometown, and when you're giving back and you're seeing it prosper and grow and people are happy and uh, you just feel good about yourself. So this next time around, we, um, uh, we're we ready to bring some leadership and some vision and experience to the table and help building grow, continue growing. Yeah, it comes up with the question is what will be the difference between the last time you were mayor and this time? Yeah, um, one is immediately, uh, you know, I go in with this uh, experience, lots. Uh, uh, lots of experience. And so there's no uh, time that we will have to stop to get caught up. Um, you know, I already, I'm already realizing that, you know, we need to start addressing long, long-term water. Uh, our housing issue is not bad. We're doing good. But um, as again, as, as I mentioned, this since the 1950s, our population has always grown. If our oil shell continues to prosper, then we need to be ready for more housing. So where is that land available? Uh, right before I left, we put a water tower north of town, and that water tower was going to serve 10,000 new meters. So we were thinking way ahead and being ready. And I'll mention housing again. So in 2014, when we knew that we had a housing shortage and the oil was going to come back, we started bringing in national contractors, developers, beaten bows of the world. And uh, they got it here and they started building homes and now we're in a good position. Um, Aging physicians. I mean, people don't think about this, but we started realizing that we need more doctors of all types. And so how do we incentivize them to come here? That was another program we put in place. We did a road study early on and we identified that uh, a lot of our roads were uh, dilapidated and uh, were unrepairable. Uh, So we over the years that I was on council, went from putting 10, uh, 2 million in maintenance to roads. When I left 10 million just out of our budget on road maintenance and, you know, 
pothole paving and stuff like that. But the big win was the voters approved a bond that we presented to them that was a five-year, $100 million road bond to fix 26 of our major roads that were really, really uh, in bad shape. Half of those roads got new infrastructure. So um, parks, you know, quality of life. We got a lot of young families. We improved Dennis the Menace, both municipal pools. Uh, we have about right under 50 parks. We fixed half of those parks with new soft pads and equipment. Downtown in 2014, it was a ghost town. Broken buildings, no economy. Uh, when we left, we put in a, a, a brand new conservancy park. Uh, families are out there every day every enjoying day. it. Young professionals eating lunch. That's beautiful. Now we need business. parking. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're all going down there. This, it's well, hard let, to find me, let me answer that. So prior to that park coming in and those businesses, we built parking garages. And so right behind uh, the Bush Convention Center and the lofts is a parking garage free to the public and also serves the lofts. Right behind Doubletree is another parking garage that's free and walking distance. And, uh, and again, as we identify and we're growing, we need a third parking garage. So where do we find that land? And when we actually, under my leadership at that time, started buying land downtown that's owned by the city that we can do that. So you got to be a visionary. You got to be reactive to the situation. And uh, so this time around, I want to you know, bring that leadership, bring that vision. Uh, I think one thing that we've been missing is there's been no voice. We haven't seen a state of the city. Um, we haven't been communicated to. And I want to know what's going what's going on. What's happening in your city? Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of us do. Yep. So that's where I'm going with my campaign, and I'm excited about being uh, able to put my uh, hat back in the race. Well, we're glad you did. So yeah. Congratulations you. on making that I decision. Got a, I got another small question: Is for for startups, mm-hmm. uh, early stage or growth driven businesses, what kind of opportunities are there maybe downtown uh, that would be, uh, let's say, uh, some somewhat uh, where they can afford it? Sure. Sure. Well, uh, you know, for anything to happen, you kind of almost have to have head in beds. Uh, so when you have those people that are actually living down there, uh, they, they can get up and, and go. So one thing that we don't have down there is a convenience store. And we've always talked about, a, even if it's, I, I mean, of course, you got to make money. So it's got to be one that uh, is good enough size that offers everything. But we need a convenience store. Uh, so I will tell somebody that's a good opportunity. Maybe it starts out uh, smaller and then eventually expands. Um, but there's more people working downtown, uh, more foot traffic, not almost what we say a 13 hour day. And of course there's uh, people living downtown and there's more apartments than we realize downtown, but we could always use more head and beds down there. Um, restaurants, uh, are always popular and every, every types of culture we need down there. So, uh, it's nice that people are going down there. We're seeing more bars pop up, lounges. Uh, which is not more music venues yes, uh, downtown more would be those. attractive. Yeah. And so there, I don't think today that you can really miss out uh, on anything because I really am excited about the pocket stores that are opening up. They're, they're small, so they're overheaded. They're thinking smart. They're keeping it small right. and efficient, and that's the way you do it. And then if, you, if you're, you're successful, then you grow into another space. But don't overdo it. That's, that's a good advice right there. That is, because you're keeping it safe. Yeah. Yes. Um, the last thing you want to do is invest in something and wind and, up your kickback. And I'll tell you, the, afford it. the property owners that own the buildings want to see their buildings full. So, uh, you know, I think they'll work out good deals for new investors, new uh, in, individuals who want to get involved in the downtown business climate. So 
uh, that's a kind of a positive, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah develop a, a downtown, a culture, like mm-hmm. you said, right? You mentioned culture earlier. It's all about... It is. And I think this council, which I'm proud to hear that they're trying to create entertainment districts, expand yes. on that. And, you know, we can have an arts district. We can have a, an, an entertainment district and, and just expands into different uh, avenues because our downtown really is more than what we see now. It can really grow into different directions. There's lots of potential. For Almost sure. definitely. So do you see any problem with the lack of maybe family entertainment? Uh, always. Always. I mean, uh, I, I, I always love reading on different apps that... We need more family because they want to get their kids out and away from those phones, away from those TVs. So 100%, if we, and it's hard because these businesses coming in and we're talking, you've heard us talk about it today. Today's inflation's high, cost of goods are high. So it's hard to start a business today in any city, but especially out here in West Texas. And people are a little, always get this wrong idea about Milan Odessa. And that's always something I always try to, to promote is that, we have the most beautiful uh, sunrises and beautiful sunset. We have a great family Absolutely. culture out here. So, uh, you know, I heard, you know, we're going to get a, a, a kickoff of a Top Golf coming in. I promise you that's going to be popular. Oh, wow. Uh, anything that's trampoline, anything that's uh, swimming related. I mean, those are popular, popular. So, uh, yes, definitely a high demand for family activities. We've been telling our startups maybe you ought to be focusing on some of that with partners. Uh, and some investors mm-hmm. are very interested in yeah. it. So uh, definitely check mark, check, check mark that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm real proud and excited about this new tailgate that opened up on the corner of Big Spring and uh, Loop 250. And again, it's uh, very family-oriented. It's outdoors. You watch uh, football or sports, uh, and they have food trucks. Uh, so, you know, how fun to, to be able to bring your kids out there and enjoy the outdoors and see the beautiful sky. And, and yet watch football. That's right. All at the same time. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, watch a beautiful uh, West Texas sunset yeah, fall right yes. out there, too. Huh? This time of year, the weather's so nice. Perfect. Yeah. This morning, I was like, ooh, it feels good out here. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you can tell when it's cold outside. The dog just looks at you and says, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jerry, I appreciate you coming out and seeing us. Thank um, you. Do you have any final thoughts or Statements that maybe you'd like to throw out there to startups or maybe to your election. Yeah, well, let, let me just and I appreciate y'all uh, addressing uh, the small business guy, you know, the mom and pop. Uh, you know, I, I always try to promote buy the basin, buy locally, support your local yes. businesses. I think that's so important because we uh, we do appreciate the chains and the franchises. But, you know, when you get that local flavor, whatever the industry, it could be art, it could be furniture or whatever, food, um, it's neat when it comes from your hometown. So uh, I encourage everybody to always buy locally and support uh, the local businesses. Uh, Mentoring, you know, we talked a lot about that. And I'll just say, even when I was mayor, I really appreciated having restaurants because people could bring in their drawings on a paper or napkin and show them to me and say, you know, do you think this idea would work in Midland? And I could wear my mayor hat, but I also could wear my restaurant uh, owner hat and say, hey, you know, that's a great idea. Um, I would kind of scale it down or, you know, you need to think about these costs. Or if I would you, I'd go talk to the planning department first and ask them, 
you know, X, Y, Z question to see how much it's going to cost you. So, you know, we're here to mentor. We're here to help you, anybody succeed. And, and we should all do that wherever we're at because uh, we all specialize in what we own or do. So that mentorship goes a long way. Uh, bankers, there's nonprofits who offer financial advice, such as you all. So uh, take up, you know, take advantage of those opportunities yes. before you invest, before you <laughs> yes. start spending a lot of money. Please, Because yes. people just don't realize that. Uh, they could save a ton of money and time if they would just ask questions. Follow the order of operations, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> and, and let's just grow our community together. So I love it. And, you know, and I do want to say uh, one thing that uh, when I first realized that you were the real deal, all right? And this is why we <laughs> yeah. support you. Thank you. So we were, we were at an event, and you were catering the bar. Yes. And uh, they uh, they wanted to recognize you because you had, you had just finished your term right. as mayor. Uh, and... You know, you were working, you were behind the bar, yep. you were, you were yes. busting it. And then uh, they called you, you stopped, you took a break, you said thank you, right back to that's the right. behind the bar busting it, man. Yeah, and we that's called him Flash. <laughs> you see that Flash? Yeah. And that's yeah. where I said, that's the real deal right there, man. Well, so thank you very we, much. We appreciate you recognizing. Absolutely, Jay. And we I, appreciate you coming on. Yes, sir. Well, thank you all and good luck with everything. Thank you. Yeah, you thank too. You. Yeah, for thank sure. You. This podcast is brought to you by Ames Business Intelligence Solutions, offering a personalized experience to navigate, organize, and manage data to respond efficiently to the growing demands of your business. Single, streamlined system to increase efficiency, standardize your business processes, reduce errors, and increase revenue by improved decision making. For more information, visit AimsBI.com. That's A I M S B I.com. Or call 432-247-8840. That's 247-8840. BAM Consulting is your one-stop shop for all things business and entrepreneur could ever ask for. Make sure to mention this podcast to receive $500 off of a top-of-the-line impactful website or $100 off the formation of your LLC legal entity structure. Thank you for tuning in to the BAM BizTalk podcast. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities.